The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel is Pat Scott. Hey, Pat. Hi. Before we get started on our topic today, I want to tell everyone about a uh, show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Wars. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Wars. So today we're talking about uh, some of our favorite productivity apps. We were, last time we talked about our favorite communication apps and mostly email and messaging and those sorts of things. Uh, this time we want to kind of broaden the field to more, you know, more productivity apps that kind of fit into a couple of different categories. So things like things that help us do our tasks and projects, calendars, uh our contact management, uh, note-taking, knowledge managers, which is a whole other category, which could we could probably come back to at some point. Uh, I keep meaning to. Uh, and, you know, collaborative workspaces and that sort of stuff. Time tracking. And there's a lot more. I don't know if we'll get to all of that uh, this time, but certainly this is a deep subject that we can keep coming back to uh, in, in the future. And what we'll do is we'll talk about the things that we use and that we like. And then other ones that are out there that you might also consider, um, you know, especially if we have any knowledge or background with them. Uh, so, so let's get started and talk about to-do list managers, project managers, task managers. They come, they call it different things. Um, and for me, I've mentioned it before, OmniFocus is the one. My my life runs out of OmniFocus. It is a, it, this is a hefty tool. I've been using it for, from the beginning, since since it it first appeared uh, from uh, the Omni Group, and it is um, it's got a bit of a steep learning curve. I I will admit. Um, it also is based on like um, the basic methodology is based on the David Allen getting things done methodology, where you offload um, tasks into an inbox, then later on you will. You categorize them according to context and that sort of thing. Uh, you don't have to do that. You can. It's it's very good for that, but you don't have to. Um, it's project and task management based. So um, if you think in projects, this is a good one for you. Uh, it is not. In, it's not cheap. It's 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 a full featured tool, and you also you have to pay separately for um, the Mac version. It's Mac and iOS. Uh, only so uh, just keep that in mind um, you can get a subscription uh, $10 a month or you can do the standard license where you buy a license which is uh, for the Mac only it's like 50 bucks for the license um, and, and then there's a pro level where you get 100 where you pay 100 bucks for the license then you pay for your upgrades uh, or you can do the subscription which is 10 bucks a month and that gives you the Mac iPhone iPad and web version so if you are Using a uh, Windows machine or a Linux machine, you can use this on the web as well. Um, so that's what I use, OmniFocus. That's my primary task uh, management tool. Uh, but, Pat, what do you use to keep track of the things you need to do? A couple of things. I use Do. I think we talked about that recently. Yeah. Uh, it's a small little app, but I, it's a quick to-do list. I had tried to do from Microsoft, and I just kind of lost tr- lost interest in it. It just was too too difficult to keep up. Uh, I d- have had some clients that use Todoist, but I typically s- stick with the Apple Reminders and Do for yep. most of my stuff. And for a lot of people, that's sufficient. Like, that's one of the big things I tell people. Don't overcomplicate your life, you know. Don't try to make your needs fit the tool. Get the right tool for what you need. And for some people, uh, just a list of tasks, a list of things that they need to get done is sufficient. I've tried to get my wife, Melanie, to use different things. And she's like, nope, I have this little piece of paper that I got is sufficient for me. And, and it'll work. if it works for you, it works. Um, so, 
Yeah, Apple Reminders is great. Uh, it's gotten better over the years. Um, yes, it really has. And the Do app is another one I actually use all the time. And I've mentioned before what it the its its primary benefit for me, and I think for a lot of the people who use it, is it nags you until you do until you do the thing. So you set a time when it's due, and then when that time comes, it'll say, "Hey, do the thing," and if you ignore it. It'll come back in five minutes and say, hey, do the thing, and it will keep doing it until you do the thing or you check it off. But uh, I I am very religiously like I don't check it off until I've done the thing. You can snooze it as well. Like, look, I'm, I am nowhere in, the, in a place where I can do this thing. Come back in an hour or three hours and then I'll, I'll do it. Um, so, yeah, do is is a is a great little app for that, too. Um, other thing, other ones, uh, things from Culture Code is another Mac one that I've tried. It's very, um, it's very much about design. It's very nice looking, uh, but it's a little too open for me. Open, like I need rails <laughs> with my to do my task manager. I need more structure. Yeah, I definitely need that. And uh, one of the things I love about OmniFocus is it works with uh, Apple Script and JavaScript, and it's got all. It's very extensible, and I've got it programmed with uh, using Keyboard Maestro, and I, I can import templates for projects and that sort of thing. Every episode of a show has a template that I store in a different app that I'll talk about soon called drafts. Um, and then I use a, a, a script to bring that into uh, OmniFocus with the right due dates and titles and all that sort of stuff that get, that I fill in at that time. So, um, so OmniFocus is my favorite uh, to-do list manager. So let's talk about calendars. Um, so for for there's two levels here. There's like calendar as a service and then calendar software that sometimes connects to that service. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you're a Mac user or you're an Apple uh, iOS user, you probably have iOS calendars, iCloud calendars. Um, if you're an Android user or you could be a Mac user or, or iOS user, you can have Google calendars. Um, and the Built-in calendars, like on the uh, on an iPhone, can access both Google Calendar and iCloud Calendar, or an, another um, independent calendar that's just on the phone. Um, and then the other software can do the same thing in on the Mac and iOS. And so that's why I use an app called Fantastical. Uh, it's it's not it's another one of these. It's not a cheap app, but it to me it's well worth the the price um it's it's a, it's a bit more expensive than other ones but what i love about it is you know a they were the first one around the block to give you natural language uh in and entry of meetings and uh events and that sort of thing uh and so it parses as you go like a lunch meeting with melanie on thursday at noon at mcdonald's or something whatever and then you know and then you can use and we'll figure it out okay the location is going to be mcdonald's uh melanie needs to be given an invitation the times and all, does all that sort of stuff and uh it does it for you so that's one thing it does it also does um templates so for example like next time i need to like jimmy aiken and i decide oh we're going to record mysterious world next saturday okay boom i just say Use this template and make it Saturday, and it fills in all the rest of the data because it's everything else is standard in the in the uh, calendar event. Um, it also does a thing which is really nice that I've had to use third parties for in the past, which is if you're trying to set a date with a bunch of people, you you can give them a URL and to, that's specific to your calendar, and they can and and you can say choose one of these dates and times just pick from among, among this. And so everyone who gets that URL can choose, and then you will settle on one of those times. And until that gets settled, it will kind of, it won't block off your calendar, but it will tell you like, these are potentially uh, blocked off for the, with an, with an event coming up. So, you know, be careful scheduling for this. So you can do that. And there's uh, several other features like that, and, like that. And so it's a really great, it's almost like an, a digital assistant. So uh, Fantastical is great for that. But you could also, um, you know, Apple's calendar, built-in calendar and Google calendar, both are pretty good on their own basic calendars for doing the things you need to do. And you get multiple calendar spaces for like personal or shared and that sort of stuff. So you could use them for that too. Uh, Pat, what do you use? 
Uh, I primarily use Google Calendar. Uh, I sometimes look at it through the uh, Apple Calendar, iOS Calendar. Uh, I also, with uh, both of those, you can, well, actually with the Apple Calendar, you can connect in the Yahoo Calendar so I can see my husband's calendar over there on Yahoo. And uh, I used to use Outlook, but it's clunky and it won't it won't really easily deal with other calendars like Apple and uh, Google, except in a read-only mode. At least that's what it was doing before. I right. think they've tried to integrate Apple's calendar in there, but I'm not real happy with the way it integrates it in. So I've never used anything but the, the Google or the Apple calendar or the Yahoo calendar, basically. Okay. So a calendar I used to use ages ago, it's still around, it's called BusyCal. This is a Mac OS calendar. Um, and it's very nice. It does a lot of the same things that Fantastical does. Not everything, doesn't have every all the features, but it's a powerful uh, calendar. It can connect with, you know, re- reminders, iCloud, Google, Exchange, Office 365, Yahoo, Fastmail, you know, all of these different uh, calendar and reminder systems and uh, can help you set up you know, conferences with, you know, Google Meet or Zoom or WebEx and that sort of thing, um, which Fantastical does too. And one of the benefits of the of, of BusyCal is you can buy it for 50 bucks. It's also on SetApp. So if you are a SetApp subscriber, you already have it. So you don't have to spend an extra 50 bucks to get it. So um, if you've taken my advice in the past and gotten uh, become a subscriber to SetApp, that's uh, it's there for you. One more comment on the Google Calendar. I used Google Mail as well. And so you can either turn on or turn or not use the feature. But like if I have a airplane uh, ticket that I bought through Google, that it immediately it automatically shows up in my Google Calendar. The start flight and the end flight are put on the right days. Uh, it has more flexibility to say, not spoken. I haven't tried that, but you know, uh, I want to meet with so-and-so next week at five o'clock or whatever. And it, it'll take all that and put it into an entry for you as well. Yeah. Um, so I like the fact that it, it can scan my email for things that are, uh, appropriate to put in there, but you Mm. have to give it permission to. And that's the nice thing with a lot of the software is it can like the, the third party software can integrate with the, the yeah, Google calendar, Apple calendar, and that sort of thing. So you can get, be, have the best of both worlds where, right. You know, you can be, use your fantastic or busy or what have you, and still get those features. Like you mentioned, the integration between Gmail and uh, Google calendar. Uh, and of course, uh, Outlook, which we mentioned last time as an email software also has a calendar. Of course, um, Outlook is the, is the, you know, the business standard, software for a lot of people, you know, it's, it's primary benefit being that it's an, ex, it uh, works with exchange. So uh, you can get, you can use your exchange calendars on that. Um, and then uh, the, if you want to talk about like the third leg of the triumvirate of productivity, uh, that's contacts to go along with your calendar and your to-do list. And well, and maybe, you know, it's maybe four legs because you get an email is also a productivity tool, but contacts is important because it helps you with your calendaring and your meetings and your email and all that sort of stuff. Um, there isn't a whole lot in this area, frankly, unless you get into uh, CRM, like relationship management, like Salesforce and that sort of stuff. Uh, but for basic contact management, you basically have Apple contacts, Google contacts, Yahoo um, contacts, right. The various yeah. email services, a- AOL, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I feel funny using any of the others than other than Apple for me um, or, or Google. I'd be fine with using Google too. Um, some of the others I worry about when I upload my contacts, what are they doing with that information? That's correct. Yeah. 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 So you uh, don't want Facebook or some of these other or Twitter or Instagram to get your contact list. Every time a social media network asks, asks for your contact list, please say no. Cause not just for your own sake, but for the sake of everyone in your contact list, because they're not privacy. Right. Yeah. They don't have a chance to say, I don't want to be in that 
company's system. So, um, so I use Apple Contacts. The Apple Contacts app is okay. It's it's just okay. Just like Apple's Calendar, it's just okay. So I use another app from FlexiBits, the makers of Fantastical, an app called CardHop. And it uses a lot of the same natural language processing to to do the tasks I need. I can pull up card hop with a with a uh, keyboard shortcut and just type like message pat, and it will bring up messages and open it up and create an, a, a message with to to you pat and I put my you know I'm ready to start typing. Um, so it's really nice with that. Or I can enter a new person and I can you know type you know, email, colon, and uh, type type in their email and their phone number and all that sort of stuff. So it's really nice that way. Uh, it's really uh, keyboard friendly in that sense where you don't have to do a lot of clicking around. You can do a lot of typing to get stuff in there very quickly. One of the things I wanted to mention about Apple Contacts is there is a bug that has been around for a long time and I have not seen Apple fix it. And that periodically I have clients that all of a sudden the names of their email groups start duplicating and duplicating and duplicating. And I've even seen contacts do that too, but but typically it's groups that will duplicate. I've never seen the problem with Google. And so that's the other reason I use Google contacts is it has a great duplication merge feature that if I happen to have two variations of the same, I can quickly merge them and not lose any data. Yeah. Whereas some of the others, it just replaces it. And that's not so cool. Yeah, the Apple Contacts you can do you can merge cards they call them you can merge them. Yes. Um, I haven't had I've seen the, uh, in fact, I, well let me put it this way, I've had the group du- duplication problem in the past, but a long time ago I haven't seen it in a long time on my. Accounts. I saw it this several two twice yeah. this year. Yeah, well I wonder like if it's longstanding accounts or if there's a common. I'd love to figure out if there's a common denominator. For why it happens to some some people and not other people, it's kind of a weird bug. Um, According to a lot of the online stuff, they say, "Well, you've just set up your your syncing wrong. You know, you've uh, got too many things syncing it." But I've never found any problem. I mean, I've got one lady that she doesn't do anything but her phone and and the Mac. And and it's constantly reproducing, you know, ten copies now. I think of her groups, and yeah. From and what we've it, tried deleting them, and yeah. you know, try to export them out and pull them back in, and it doesn't matter. I've seen some people suggest that if you turn off syncing, and then delete it completely from one of the devices, and so there's only one copy. You know, so export before you do this to save a backup. Um, so there's only one copy. Clear it out. Um, you know, in fact, because when you have two devices, it exists in three places on the two devices and in the cloud. So if you turn it off on the devices and all you've got is what's in the cloud, uh, then that should be the canonical v- version. So if you clear out what's on the devices, you might because I'm, I'm, th- I'm wondering if there's like a corrupt uh, table somewhere that's saying, oh, this needs to be reduplicated and this doesn't exist here. This needs to be, you need to put a copy here. I don't know. It's just kind of, you'd think they could track this stuff down, but, you know. Well, as I say, since I've never had the problem with Google contacts, I just decided that I was going to take and, and move my move my house over there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that so that's that's always an option. Um, those and those are the two I would say for us favorites uh, for, right. for those. Uh, so let's talk about the next category, which is notes, note taking, and notes has it can take various forms, uh, and so this category and the category afterward kind of overlap a little bit. But let's quickly talk about note apps, and these are I look at it as these are places to to keep short bits of information that I need to have handy that they may not even need to be around for very long. They're maybe ephemeral um, or they, or, or they have other purposes as well. Um, So let me just mention a few of them. So one app I use is called drafts. I've mentioned this earlier in this uh, program and drafts is sort of, it's a universal inbox. It's a way you, you open it up and you're presented with a blank sheet and you can put stuff there. And it's that's the most basic form, and, but drafts it has a nice way of processing information. It has actions that you can either download from their directory or create yourself uh, if you if you have a little bit of knowledge of how it works. And so you can do things like 
I, you know, it, I need to, I don't know how I want to send this information. I'm just putting it here for now. And then later on, like, uh, I want to message this to so-and-so. Then I want to email this same information to that person. And you just select different actions and you can send it different ways. Um, so I mentioned I use drafts as a repository for my templates for the uh, OmniFocus. And so these templates are just plain text, but they have certain um, indicators like for variables. So where dates, due dates and titles and that sort of stuff go. And there's an action that has that runs on JavaScript that uh, I put together that um, when I run that JavaScript, it goes in asks me to fill in the variables and then it will import that into OmniFocus and then, you know, run a, run another action that uh, creates a folder on my desktop for that project or, you know, in the, or in my, you know, in the computer. So um, yeah, drafts is as simple or as powerful as you want it to be. It's a really great piece of software. Uh, there's a, so much, there's a big community that surrounds it of people doing all kinds of things. And even if you don't program or do any scripting, you can Google and, or look in the, there's a big drafts directory of, of possible actions that you can look at. And um, this, it, it can do amazing things um, just with text. Um, another one that I use is called unclutter, which does a few different things. Uh, so unclutter lives at the top of my screen and when I uh, put my cursor at the ver like very top of the screen or above the menu bar, and then I on my trackpad, I bring down two fingers, it drops down like a window shade to halfway down the monitor. And on the left side, it shows my clipboard history. So the last six things I copied on my, uh, you know, for, in my computer. In the middle is a place I could, I could store files that I want to get to, like uh, stuff I'm, I might be working on right now that I want to just hang there for a little bit. And on the right is a notepad. And it's sort of like a sticky pad, like where you can write little memos. And I use it all the time when I'm on the phone or if I just have, you know, some numbers I need to jot down or very brief things like that. And it's a great little, and then when you just scroll up again and it goes away. And it's out of the way and it doesn't take up any screen space. Uh, so uh, that's called Unclutter. And you it's a paid app you can pay for it. It's also on Setup. So you, if you are a Setup subscriber, you already got it. Um, of course, Apple Notes is a great op uh, option. I use Apple Notes to keep my uh, show scripts for each show. So like when I, you know, my opening and closing scripts for each particular show and with the patrons I want to thank and that sort of thing. Um, I also use it, uh, my wife and I use it as a place where you can, since you can share folders, we, that's where we put our weekly menu where, that we've come up with for the week. So we all both know what we've decided is that we're making for dinner every night of the week. So that sort of thing is, I, I like Apple notes for that sort of thing. So um, Pat, what do you use for note taking and keeping uh, basic notes. Okay. Uh, Apple notes on my phone. I use it quite a bit, you know, to, to make, just jot down things like, uh, you know, what shows we're watching, where we are, what episodes, you know, various different things like that, or uh, things that I want to remember to do. Sometimes it's kind of a second to do list. Um, on a PC, I use WordPad and Notepad just to when I'm local on that machine. But the nice thing about Apple Notes is it's on all my iOS devices. I want something, though, that goes between all my devices. And I haven't gotten anything really, really good, except I've just started using Obsidian. And that will go on a Mac, my phone, and a PC, and I can get to them from anywhere if you do the sync. I'm paying for the sink. So that's all of a sudden replaced a lot of things that I've mm. been doing otherwise. Yeah, it's actually, Obsidian's a real powerful tool. And I kind of, I, I wasn't sure where to put it in our uh, outline today because it could kind of fits, you can use it just as for taking notes. Uh, yeah. Can, and it's also so powerful, you could do so much more as well. And it's kind of this weird category. But I have I have to be able to get the stuff from a Mac and a PC or from the web or from my iPad. Mm -hmm. And th that's a real difficult thing because Apple Notes, I try running it out of the web browser. And boy, is it awfully slow to populate what if I've got a large note section. Right. And so I gave up on that. And of course, the 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 PC based ones are only single single machine 
WordPad and Notepad, so they don't do me any good. Right. So, and I used to use Evernotes, but that was more complicated for just note taking. It was a lot more overhead on me. Yeah. Well, let's since we're talking about Evernote and Obsidian, let's talk in, about this next category, which I call knowledge managers um, and collaborative workspaces. And uh, the reason I we, you know I call it that is, um, it, I mean this is this it's sort of a new category where a lot of this stuff is showing up in there. I mean, we've used these tools, some of these tools for a long time, but the the way we think about them and the way these they've been developed has changed a little bit. So Obsidian, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, I love Obsidian. I keep, I use it sort of as a, a personal and work wiki where I keep all kinds of important, like I keep a daily journal of my work-related things that I'm doing. I keep information on like, all of our sponsors and the information I need to keep on each show. And it's sort of a, it's a repository of all that sort of information. That's how I use it. Um, and so, and, and it will sync with your, like you mentioned, you can sync it on a phone and other devices. Um, I use the free sync, but it's not great. Um, I sometimes get conflicts with, because it has to update. It uses um, iCloud files and it has to update the files as I'm opening it. And sometimes um, if the file doesn't exist yet, if it hasn't synced it down yet, it creates it again. So then I have two copies of the file. So that's kind of a pain. Um, I, I'm hoping that they can improve that. And maybe, I, maybe uh, the, the paid version of sync is, is what it would, would solve that for me. I should look into that. I haven't had any problems with it yet, but you realize I've only been using it three or four weeks. So, yes. So, but I, I, yeah, it's becoming my brain dump. If as I do research or I do trying to figure out stuff, it's a good place. Oh, I saw an article about that the other day. So put it in there, you know, and uh, it's really been a help for me. And it's great because like, even though it's plain text files, some of the plugins that are for it, there's a data view plugin that allows you to really take this well beyond text files. I keep track of um, all the books I'm reading or or have read or plan to read um, in, using the data view plugin. And it it looks it, it creates these really nice tables of data. I mean, it's really amazing. Uh, it, it, uh, we have to do a show on it. I just have to do a show on this. Right. Yeah. And, and you can embed PDFs and you can embed pictures and you yes. can, you know, there's a lot of things you can put in there that, that you wouldn't consider a note taking application to do. Right. But I'll have to admit Apple notes, you can get really nice formatted notes and, and you can scan into it. Yes. That's the other thing you can use it as a scanner. And it does a really nice job of bringing in stuff that way. Yeah. The, the the best thing about Obsidian is that it's just text files. So even if Obsidian went away tomorrow, you'd have all of the text files on your desk, you know, ready to, you know, to, to bring into something else. So, um, so, right. uh, so other ones that we could talk about are uh, Notion, which is a collaborative workspace. And so there's three that I really want to mention is Notion, Craft, and Rome Research. Uh, Notion is an all-in-one uh, workspace where you can write, plan, collaborate, get organized. It has templates. It sort of merges notes, tasks, wikis, and databases. And um, it it's a big tool, and it's very flexible and customizable, which may be one of its weaknesses because it can be intimidating, I think, for, for people who are just getting started. Um, the other one is Craft, which is a Mac one. Um, Mac's, uh, sorry, Craft's primary uh, benefit um, is that it's beautiful. It's it's it looks good. It's well crafted, hence the name. Um, and it, but it's it has great support for multimedia stuff. But it's Mac only, so that's that's one of the downsides. And um, and then there's another one called Rome Research, which is really for they, they talk about. Um, assistive note-taking or networked thought uh, where it's all about making connections. So it's a re it's a really a research tool where you use it to make connections between things. Um, and so if you, if you don't think in that format of like linking thoughts, um, then you may not, um, that may not work for you that one. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, we've got someone joining us late uh, to the program. Father Joseph Sund is here. Uh, Father, welcome to the program. And uh, we've been talking about productivity apps. Uh, and we're, we're t- right now we're talking about note-taking and knowledge manager and collaborative workspace apps. Uh, what do you think is... is uh, uh, anything, is, is there, do you have a favorite note-taking or knowledge manager app? Yeah, so note-taking-wise, I would use standard notes usually. Um, found that a useful app. What do you like about standard notes? That's one I hadn't heard of before. Yeah, I haven't either. I think the the main benefit for me is that it follows across all the platforms. So I'm able to use it um, on my Linux, Windows, Mac OS, iOS all of those together. Um, and so I find that helpful that I'm mm. able to use all of those together. And uh, it looks like, looking at their site, it looks like it's end-to-end encrypted? It is, yeah. So the privacy is a huge theme with them, um, end-to-end encryption. Cool. And uh, the pricing on it looks pretty good. There's a free version, which includes encryption, which is nice, um, and unlimited devices. That's also good. Um, and then there's a, like a, a couple other plans, $90 a year and $120 a year. Uh, where the you know you get a lot more. It looks like they have a web clipper in the ninety dollar a year version, which is yeah the, useful. The ninety dollar a year version, I think, can um, compete really with Evernote and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the free one, um, and I found that to be adequate for myself. Cool, Pat. That sounds like it might be something to look at for you. I say, yeah, yeah, I do because I do all the platforms as well, and so I, I need something that I can just be wherever I am and pick up and continue working on something that I was on another device. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I were doing more where I needed to collaborate, like I collaborate with people making podcasts, but I don't often need to be in a document with people. Like for us. Slack usually does the job, but if I needed more than that, if I had a team that I was working with, for, say, of uh, of like employees, like editors and you know producers and that sort of stuff, Notion would be very attractive to me. I've looked at it several times. Um, it's it, there's a lot there, uh, and I've seen a lot. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos of people who are Notion fans, and I'm like, you know, this it's quite a tool. But I think I would ha- I would end up spending more time getting the tool up and running at this point, then it would have utility for me. So then that's a, that's a danger with a lot of these things is you, it, it's fun to play with tools, but you really got to get your work done. So, <laughs> Well, and I was thinking about Microsoft OneNote. I mean, that's definitely will go. I, I had forgotten about it, uh, but yes, you can get to it through iOS or through a web browser, et cetera. Uh, and in, I believe that there's a, an app on on the um, in Microsoft Office that would st- go on the Mac as well, and of course it will go on iOS. I don't know about Android, but that's another possibility. Okay. Um, one one thing I want to mention about Evernote. Uh, I've been an Evernote user for 15 years, and I've stuck with them through thick and thin. For me, Evernote has always been about uh, an archive a place to store things that I want, I know I might want to get at again. Um, but Evernote has changed over the years and the people who make it have kind of shifted it into this collaborative workspace sort of uh, idea. Uh, and they become much more about notes and calendars and tasks and projects and working with other people. And it really has kind of left me behind in that sense, especially when they went to um a new platform architecture called Electron, which is means they, they write the app once and it's supposed to run on all platforms. And sometimes that's okay, and sometimes it's not. It doesn't work as great with Evernote because it breaks scripting, for one thing, which I used it a lot. Uh, but I kind of stuck with it because I had, I think, 40,000 notes in <laughs> Evernote. And I just decided to cancel my subscription because the pricing went up and went way up. Uh, they they, they yeah. have new owners. And I was paying, two years ago, I was paying $44. I think and I was grandfathered in under an older plan. Um, last year, it went up to 70 something dollars a year. And now they're talking about, I think, 140 I think it's either $130, $140. I was going to say, I, th- I was remembering 129 Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. 
And, and the I'm in the boat of I don't have four, as many as you do, but trying to get them down into another format, I have spent a week. And, yeah. and every time I spend some time trying to do it, it fails along the way. And so I've, I've, that's, I, I can back them up, but I, yeah. I really can't convert them. I'm so, just going to have to abandon that idea. Well, I, I was able to convert by uh, moving to a different Mac software called DevonThink. And DevonThink has an Evernote import ability. Um, it doesn't look great, but it's it's usable uh, now. The, at least it's all there now, which is fine. Um, DevonThink is, you know, you pay for it once and you, and you own it until you want to update. Usually, you know, that's the usual deal. Um, and it's not cheap. It's 150 bucks, but... That's not every year. <laughs> it's just once, you know, uh, and then, you know, whatever the next update is in a couple of years, I'll probably pay for that. Uh, but it does almost all the same things that Evernote did for me that I needed Evernote to do. Put it to put it uh, like that. Um, the one thing it doesn't isn't as good at is the web clipping. That was always a big thing for me was being able to clip articles from the web. Um, Evernote was always good at that. Um, Devin think not so great, but I've figured some workarounds on that. So. Yeah, on web clipping, what I've ended up doing is have a reader extension, or if I guess Safari has a built-in nice reader, but basically just go to the web page, go to the reader mode, copy and paste, and stick it into uh, yeah. uh, Obsidian, and that's been working pretty well, because it carries forth the name and the URL and all that when when I do that. I usually, uh, what I've been doing with DevonThink is printing to PDF into DevonThink. That's, oh, wow. That, that's my way of doing it. Father, what did you... Um, I was going to say, isn't there a good um, web clipping tool in Setup? Um, that I don't know. Let me see if... Uh, I haven't played with it, but I'm remembering one coming up. Yeah, web clip. I don't know of one. Like, it's just clipping it into someplace? Yeah, yeah, that it allows you to do web clips. Oh, yeah. I don't... Um, I I quickly just looked and set up for web clip and nothing came up. Um, there is one called lift helps you turn web pages and apps into, um, Oh, into full screen apps. Yeah. No, yeah, that's, no. Yeah, that's not the same thing. Uh, I don't know. I have to look at that. I, I, I don't recall seeing one there. That would be useful if, if there was a tool for that. Um, and of course we've all, we've mentioned before, uh, I don't use it myself, but like uh, Google keep is another option for this that's come up uh, on the show before as well. Yeah, I tried that for a couple of weeks and I decided again that was not what I needed. I'm sure it was good, but it just it didn't satisfy me somehow. Yeah. It Google Keeps always been a glorified nat notepad. I haven't found it very helpful at times. Right. I think it suffers from what a lot of Google apps end up suffering from is Google's has an idea and never really follows through on it. it. It makes it and then it lies fallow until someday Google decides to cut it loose. Yeah, that's what it feels like is it feels like it was good for 2010. Yeah. And then that's about it. Yep. So those are our looks at uh, productivity apps, our favorite productivity apps. And, um, you know, we plus some others that are in the category. If you've got some favorites that you like that we haven't mentioned or anything you want to add to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at technology at sqpn.com and we'd love to, you know, give uh, read your feedback out on the on the show on an upcoming episode. So let us know what you think. So let's uh, take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including John N., Tony L., Joe E., Stephen Y., and Timothy J. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StockWest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So uh, let's talk about some headlines we got here. Uh, first one, this isn't a, uh, exactly a new headline. This came out a, a little bit more than a month ago, but I thought it would be worth talking about um, in the you know era of AIs, the conversational AIs that we all have now, and uh, the, the new fad of AI everything. Uh, there's been some industry leaders who have been cautioning us to slow down a bit. Uh, and there was an open letter signed by people like Elon Musk 
and Steve Wozniak, the one of the co-founders of Apple and others who are calling on these companies developing these AI language models to stop for now, like pause, <laughs> hold on. Cause we're moving faster than we can figure things out. Uh, and, and yeah, in fact, they, they said like stop with GPT four, which is open AI's latest large language model. And, you know, wait a bit until we can catch our breath on, in a sense. Um, what did you think about this call for the, for a pause? Is, is it, does it matter? Is it useful? Or do you see the same concerns that they have? What do you think? Hmm. I guess I feel like, yeah, we need to stop and look at the implications and how do we do the protective things that we need to do to stop people just using it to plagiarize or to count on facts being there and they're not really facts. There were fictions that got pulled into the, the GPT uh, conversation. Uh I'm not sure I would go as far as to say it's as as it's as bad as a nuclear threat, like another somebody said. Uh, but I think looking at it and saying let's let's go see where it's going right now, and let's you know, as you say, catch your breath and and investigate where it goes before we get so much dumped in there. It's unmanageable, and you can't pull it back. Right, right. The specific concerns I mentioned is like the spread of inf misinformation, taking away jobs from people and automating people's, you know, people's jobs and uh, a risk of loss of control over civilization, which it seems like a sci-fi. That's sci a little bit much. Yeah, that sounds like a sci-fi <laughs> doomsday sort of thing. Uh, but on the other hand, Elon Musk is, you know, trying to colonize Mars to save humanity. So, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, we have to take that into consideration. Yes. Right. One thing that stands out for me is, yeah, if people who are goodwill put a pause to it, great. But um, as we're slowing down, not only does it allow Elon Musk and others who supposedly are trying to do good um, catch up, it also allows um, bad actors to catch up. So... Um, you know, China and Russia are behind this right now. We are we going to give them time to catch up as well um, right. and be bad actors? Or are they going to pull it? ahead? Yeah, are they going to just pull ahead instead? Right, right. That's that's one of the concerns. Is like you know, in the hands of good people, the tool is fine, but in the hands of people with ill intent, then we ha start to worry at what these sorts of things can do. And so, I'm not sure. I, I don't know that you know the like the pausing of the development of the models would allow them would give them any advantage per se i th i think i I'd, I'd be i'm worried about china and russia with this stuff regardless of whether we pause or not let's put it that way uh, yeah i i don't think that on the writing of papers plagiarism things the ai is as far along as people are selling it to be yeah um i was I'm comfortable enough with it that I even sat down with my high schoolers and showed them what it could do, but also showed them how obvious it was <laughs> right? that right. if they use this, A, there's tools that are just as strong. For example, asking ChatGPT, did you write this? <laughs> yes. um, or yeah. just looking at it and realizing... Um, that a human being does not sound that robotic and doesn't write with such perfect grammar that it it's obviously a machine. Well, the funny thing is, is then they have to sit down and rewrite it so it doesn't sound like the machine, in which case they're doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm happy to have them do the work. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the concerns that they bring up are like, well, like, we want to improve accuracy, safety, interpretability, mm -hmm. transparency, and robustness. Um, and these are the interesting concerns because, you know, as the more and more of these models come out, there's image generators and deep uh, fake voice ones and deep fake video ones and all of these different things are flying at us. And we just don't have time to think about them before the next one is here and the next 
you know, potential problem. Like, oh, we have to worry about a fake video of the president and we have to worry about fake audio of, you know, the kidnap children. Yeah. Or yeah, all these different things. And we don't have time to breathe. And I think that's the idea is we need to slow down and let us catch up, let regulators catch up, uh, you know, because we need to figure out how to interface these things into our society. So uh, in that sense, I'm, I'm kind of okay with this call for, Let's take a pause and just take a breath and see where we are. So, all right. So that's, so that's our first headline. Our second headline, uh, General Motors has announced that it plans to phase out support for Apple CarPlay in its electric vehicles uh, in the near future and in favor of a new system that they're developing with Google. So CarPlay from Apple, Android Auto from Google (laughs) are two ways that you can connect your phone to some models of modern cars, a lot of models of modern cars um, that puts a modified interface from your phone onto the infotainment screen in your car and lets you do certain functions uh, without having to look at your phone. Things like control podcasts, which is great uh, or do navigation. And, uh, this has been a big feature for a lot of people who've been buying cars in the past, say, five or six years. Uh, most vehicles in in this five-year time period, I think, are all support both uh, CarPlay and Android Auto. But so this seems like a big surprise from GM. And uh, in the after this came out, Ford, meanwhile, came out and said, oh, no, we're doubling down. We are totally on board with Apple CarPlay, uh, which, you know, that and $1.50 will get you a cup of coffee you know, as far as that'll go. You know, I mean, they could they could then come out next year and say uh, we've changed our mind. But for the moment, they've seen an opportunity. Um, some people say, oh, it's about GM trying to get in on that sweet, sweet subscribe subscription uh, money, where is if you're using their built in system, then you're going to have to pay them to use it. Um or they just don't like giving up control to the third party like Apple or um, Android. So what do you all think of Google's plan or Google's General Motors plans, Google Motors plans to to ditch CarPlay? Um, would it affect whether you buy a GM vehicle or not? All of our vehicles are too old for CarPlay. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the same boat. <laughs> uh, I would be, I would love to have CarPlay available. I didn't like it that much when I used it on rental cars. Uh, it seemed to take over the functions where I wanted it to, uh, shall we say, uh, be a blend of what I wanted to do and what it wanted to do to me. But uh, uh, I, I just think they're going to antagonize a huge segment of the population if they say, we'll do Google, but we won't do CarPlay. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it's kind of a weird thing because instead of just going with Android Auto, they want to do some third thing that Google is developing with them, which to me sounds like we want to own it. Like we'll pay Google to develop it, but we'll own it. And it really Mm. makes it car centric again. We're going back to the day, like when, when everything is about the car, whereas what everything I need is in my phone. And like, I've got an old enough Honda that it doesn't have CarPlay. It connects via Bluetooth, which is not great. Um, And you know, everything I want, navigation, audio, you know, that sort of stuff is in my phone. It's not, it's, and I don't, I don't want the car to do any of that stuff. It, it, it does it all badly as it is. One of the big things too is cars update their software much less often, i.e. almost never than phone OSs. So they're very slow to react. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of cars out there that I get into the, you know, and the the owner will tell me, yeah, I'm sorry, that place isn't on the map program yet because they're using this outdated software that they can't update. Right. I mean, you know, navigation software that doesn't have locations is worse than useless. Yeah. Um, Or can't update itself. Yeah. Right. That's the biggest benefit I find from having Apple CarPlay in my car is just the um availability of maps um especially being in very rural areas um apple's maps and google's maps and 
you know, sometimes I have to switch between map apps based on where I am um, and the um, effectiveness of their routes. Um, but at least I have options. Um, right. Usually, usually in most of those, once you know the lay of land, the land, you're better than the GPS. But well, that's the one thing I don't have to worry about since I don't have a built in system. I can use my phone for either Google Maps or Waze or uh, Apple Maps. I mean, I've got flexibility, whereas you get something that's built into your car. You're stuck with that again. Yeah. You know, I wonder if people are as attached to car brands as they once were, too. I mean, I I feel like. The younger generation is much more attached to their phone brand than they are to their car brand. And it may be a case that people who are looking at vehicles, maybe, you know, maybe not everyone, but enough will will say, well, GM doesn't do CarPlay. So I'm just going to go look at Ford or Honda or whatever and, and go with that. It might be. This might be General Motors overplaying their hand once again. Yeah. They, they recently. They kick They recently overplayed their hand in the rural areas and lost a big amount. Chevy and GM lost a big amount of the rural area based on them announcing going electric vehicles a little too early. All electric. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I think this is another episode of them overplaying their hand. um, Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to watch. Yep. Yep. So. Uh, Our third headline is uh, this a little bit of a caution to folks. Uh, Go and find out what if you have an uh, automatic door, uh, a smart garage door opener, shall we say, uh, find out what brand it is. And if it's the next brand, any XX, you may want to replace it. So there's uh, there's this brand of next uh, garage door openers uh, and other they also have other things, too, that some security research researchers have found all use the same password unencrypted Mm. to communicate with their servers. So, like, it doesn't matter how secure you are in your home. The device itself communicates in the clear with a server somewhere on the internet, which means it is it is ridiculously easy for someone to break into your to to take control of your garage door opener, which is the door to your house essentially. Uh, right. Uh, this is just a terrible, terrible thing. Um. In in fact, uh, the the Department of Homeland Security has been trying to get a hold of this company as of when this article came <laughs> out, and they were not responding. And so the uh, the security researcher said device owners should immediately unplug all next devices and create support tickets with the company requesting them to remediate the issue. So, wow. Yeah, that it's it's they're not, probably in China. Well, they're Texas based, actually, is what the article really? says. Oh, you're kidding. No. Wow. I mean, they're probably manufactured in China like everything else. But, um, yeah, the company is based out of Texas. Uh, it's not a huge company. They said that they estimate 40,000 devices are installed which is not it's not nothing but it's not um huge so you know i'm wondering if they're you know if they're using aws or something like that um Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time before if homeland security needs that shut down amazon can do that for them right Uh, Right. so it's a question are they self-hosting are they AWS, if they're running their own server farm, I have even a bigger problem with the security <laughs> of that. Right. I mean, and it goes to a bigger question is, is like the, when we when you buy smart home devices, you really need to do your due diligence and make sure that they're not, you know, exposing you to the security uh, dangers like this. And, you know, these small you, you these small companies, the no-name brands, like I will never buy a no-name brand camera or other home security device, door locks. I will only buy the name brands. I mean, that doesn't guarantee that they'll be perfect, but bigger companies have a lot more to lose and are much more eyes on the product and, too. Right. More yeah. and more scrutiny. Um, and pay attention to these, you know, the security researchers, God bless them for doing this and finding this out because a lot of people would ne- would never have known this if they didn't. It is a, this is a big deal. And it, uh, you know, it's a small company in this case, 
but it's a, it's a it's a big problem that needs to be dealt with. That's for sure. I have a lot of smart home things in the house, but one thing place that I will not go is anything external to the house that allows access to the house. Um, so where we have we have a touch keypad that's old fashioned, and that's about as far as I'm going to go with that. Um, yeah. Just not worth the risk. Right. Right. So. um so those are our headlines and uh, let's move on to our picks of the week. And Pat, why don't you go first? What is your pick this week? Well, when we had the last pass debacle where they had the, the, um, the bad actors getting into their system and there were a lot of people said, well, let's see how they handle it. And they kind of flubbed a little bit, but it, it was a very sophisticated hack. I'll have to admit reading of the stuff. It was like they weren't negligent to a huge degree and left the door open. They found somebody who was just really intent on getting in. Uh, so I, I ended up switching all of my stuff over to Dashlane and was plowing ahead with that and converted everything and had been using it. And so far it had been working pretty well. And then this last two weeks, it stopped filling in on Chrome. I could use it on Firefox. I could use it on Edge, but Chrome, I couldn't get it to fill in. And I removed all my other uh, extensions and, you know, reset the settings. And it's just not, it wasn't reliable for me and I was getting frustrated. So I remember our discussion in which uh, several people mentioned Bitwarden. So I said, what the heck? It's free. Let me try it. And it converted all my stuff. I've started using it. It's a little bit different in the way it fills in, but it's consistent and it works. And I'm happy with it. And it's syncing by, by different devices. So I just wanted to say just the free version is is fine for what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I know that the paid version has other things like legacy and all that type of thing that would be nice to have, too. And the paid version is 10 bucks a year, which is almost nothing. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah and I, pr- I probably will jump to that as soon as, as I've spent like two months with it. Yes. Then I'll think, I'll, you know, so I've right now I've got I'm paying for uh, it, I've got a paid subscription for Dashlane and for for uh last pass and for <laughs> now i'm using this but you know some of those are coming to an end on their subscription so okay i've i've used bitwarden almost for two years now um and love it um and i'm the type that um now that i am settled down in life and have you know a little bit of money to spare i'm a priest i'm not rolling in cash but <laughs> you know paint those open source software that I use, I if I'm using them regularly, I do like to give a little bit of a oh, sure. um, kickback to the developers as they're, you know, usually a, a lot of them are some guy um, doing it as a hobby. Bitwarden is a c- company that's formed, but um, just to be able to support them in that, it's a sure. good product. The only thing that I found that it was a little bit uneasy for me was if you click the box that says keep me signed in for two weeks, it's really hard to get it to log out. I mean, it doesn't have a timeout. So mm-hmm. I can't say close down Bitwarden when the browser closes or uh, it, it's basically it w- what it will do is it will give you a lock, which you have to enter a pin to get back in. Yep. You can set it up that way. And that, um, that, that relieved my mind, but it was the first few times it was like, wait a minute, this thing is going away. When I reboot or come back in, it's still there. <laughs> it's <Yep>. still open. <laughs> oh. So that's just be tricky about that is, is mainly to watch that. Yeah. The, okay. bi- the big benefit of the paid is the advanced two factor authentication um, in which Right from your clipboard, you're able to put those two FA pins in um, right away. And I've found that a lifesaver. Yeah, I haven't tried that yet. So that sounds like a good reason to go to the paid version, too. Mm, Nice. Excellent. Good choice. Uh, Father, what's your pick this week? Um, My pick of the week on the note of us needing to slow down on AI, I'm heeding to... Elon Musk call, and I'm going to tell you guys all an AI site you can use for free. Um, <laughs> so there's a site called Tiny Wow, and not only is it AI tools, but there's also a lot of conversion tools for files and things that I found very useful as well. I believe that's kind of how the site started, 
Um, and then they added the AI write things. And I believe they're using GPT-4 on theirs. And just some nice tools. I've used it a little bit as I'm preparing my lesson plans. I'm not for next year. I'm not letting it write all my lesson plans. Don't worry. But sometimes <laughs> as I'm saying, like, what is content should that I should follow on teaching philosophical logic to high school seniors? Right. And it will give an outline and I can look at it versus my outline and go, oh, that's something I probably should have covered. And so it's helpful in that mind that it goes through and it's browsing the Internet for other things and something that I would normally probably do a Google search and see who else has put resources out there. Right. Um, the thing I wish it did was cite its sources to me. Um, oh, that would be good. Yeah. But it's been helpful. I think with it, you still need to be an educated mind and only be using it as a suggestion and not a um, control C, control V thing. Yeah. Right. Well, who'd I hear someone say, um, you, we should treat these things like an intern. No. So you mm. tell it, hey, you know, do this thing. And then if it was an intern, you wouldn't just turn around and put it in production or, you know, send it out. You would check it and make sure it's got sight of the sources and it's correct that they did the job right. Um, and so, you know, your AI stuff should be like an intern. I think it was Mac Break Weekly. I heard that. One task I had it do that I was just overly impressed with was one of our units we do philosophical fallacies on. And I asked it to generate a table of the top 10 philosophical fallacies with definitions and examples of each. The examples that it came up with were, oh, and it was with a bend towards high school seniors. And mm -hmm. the examples it came up with were just spot on. And it was, it was, it was kind of neat to see how that worked out. So it looks to me for like, as I look to the site, the, the way, the, what sets it apart is, it breaks the tool down into easier chunks to use. So like if you go mm -hmm. to, to, to chat GPT, say you can do all these things. If you put the right prompt in what they're doing here is sort of giving you the prompt. So they, you can click on all these buttons, essay writer, paragraph writer, podcast script writer, LinkedIn post generator, blog post ideas. And it's sort of giving you the prompt to get you started. And I think that's yep. a nice element of it because sometimes you just, with like the, the chat GBT or, you know, some of the image uh, AI image generators, you just, you see that blinking cursor. You don't know what you're supposed to say in order to get what you want. Uh, and that's the trick. Um, I also like, you know, I might, I might be using this myself because I often have to, um, when I'm making thumbnails for our podcast episodes, I need to get images from movies and TV shows. And I often end up with web P file format, which I hate. It's yep. not usable for anything. And I have to go find a, a JPEG converter or a PNG converter. Well, it's got one built in here. So, uh, you know, that sort of thing it could be very useful. So, I'm, yeah, I'm looking, I'm liking this and it's free, right? It's yeah, it's all free. So it does make me wonder who's paying then. <laughs> yeah, um, I looked at their privacy policy. Um, they do delete everything within an hour is their claim. Okay. So, oh, and it does say that they have ads to keep the content free. Yep. So there's, there's ads in there somewhere. Yep. Oh, okay. The uh, one thing that I noticed, Dom, that might be a benefit to you is there's, I'm trying to find it here. There's a specific one that works with SEO and metadata things that okay. can write a good description for a podcast or a, web page for you that can put those metadata things in for good hits. Oh, good. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to check that out because yeah, trying to get seen these days, that's always the trick. <laughs> um, met, here it is. Meta description generator. Meta description generator. Okay, great. That'll be very useful. Excellent. Maybe I could ask it to come up with a script to convert all my Evernote files to Oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that might be possible. <laughs> you could actually, yeah, I wonder if the GPT-4 could do it. That would be funny. If you, if it's that a, would be because there are some people that have you know posted articles as I say I've gone down the rabbit trail on three of them and and one of them just stopped working and the other one only converted like four files and I have no idea when, why it wouldn't convert some of the others uh, you know so it's like yeah so so 
Uh, very good. Well, that's uh, the, the, I'm going to spend some time on Tiny Wow. That's for sure. That's a good pick. Uh, uh, this looks like <laughs> a lot there. So uh, my pick this week is another piece of software from Objective-C, uh, Objective-SEE.org, a nonprofit 501c3 software-based foundation. This uh, uh, Patrick Wardle is a genius programmer who creates... Um, Security software for Macs, uh, specifically. And he's got a whole bunch of different ones. And this one is called Oversight. And it, it what it does is it detects and stops Mac malware that will use your uh, camera or microphone on your Mac in an undetected manner. And so, you know, if, if it can get a hold of these. And now, it's really hard to get in control of uh, Mac's camera or microphone, especially in a way that uh, doesn't alert the user. The operating system has these built-in indicators, uh, but it, it, sometimes those are, you know, pretty unobtrusive and you know, unobtrusive and you might overlook it and whatnot. So this is just another layer of security. And basically what it does is it monitors your Mac's mic and webcam and alerts you, when the internal mic is activated or whenever any process accesses the webcam, which, you know, so you're going to zoom somebody, you're going to FaceTime somebody will come up and say, Oh yeah, I know I'm doing that. Allow. And 99% of the time, that's going to be your, what's going to happen. It's just that 1% where you're like, wait, I not asking it to (laughs) be on a thing. Uh, Why that shouldn't be there. And that's when you hit block and then figure out what's accessing it. Um, So it's just, and it's, Absolutely free. He does these things for free. He asks for people to support his, you know, his nonprofit, if you can, uh, with a little bit of money to help him keep going. Um, But in general, it's free. And so it's just another one of these great little tools for securing your Mac, which is uh, a really great thing. I'm wondering if there is a, um, I'll I'll use, I'm going to check that out on my Mac, but I'm wondering if there's an alternative to that on the, um, Windows window side on these that would be interesting yeah yeah i mean th- th- there's a lot more of um securities commercial security software on windows than there is on the mac which is why i'm so glad to see that this guy uh patrick wardle is doing all this for free so um it is it is nice to see that's for sure all right uh so that does it those are our picks and that does it for our discussion this week we'd love to hear what you thought of anything we talked about this time you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the starquest facebook page at facebook.com slash starquest media or send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the starquest discord community at sqpn.com slash discord You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash TEC211. Be sure to write a review of the show in Apple Podcasts or any podcast directory that likes to write write reviews or rate shows. Uh, That's a big deal for us. It helps a lot. Every review, every uh, rating uh, really helps us get in front of more people. And, you know, especially when you share the podcast with your friends. If you like the show, Please share it with others. Help them get the same benefit that you do from the show. Until next time, Father Joseph Sund, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Glad to. Pat Scott, thank you as well. Looking forward to next time. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest. <laughs>